All right, welcome to episode number four of Fueling Success, an Athlete's Story. Our guest today is Amanda Sobey, a professional squash player who is ranked number five in the world, number one in the U.S., with six gold medals, five U.S. national championships, and graduated from Harvard in 2015 with an undefeated 62-0 record, including a combined seven national titles. Welcome to the show, Amanda. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good to be on here. Of course, yeah. Uh, tell the audience a little bit about yourself, aside from yeah, you know, so all the accolades. <laughs> Um, yeah, so I grew up in Long Island, um, New York, in a tiny town called Seacliff. My father is Egyptian. He's from Egypt, was born and raised there, and my mother's American. Um, Egypt is currently kind of the um, hotbed for squash players at the moment. So okay. I, come from a, I come from a squash family. My father played in Egypt. Um, he played a little bit professionally. He came to the states in the 80s to play squash and met my mom um, playing tournaments in New York City where my mom was um, organizing the event so okay yeah so that's how they met and I have an older brother um, he played in college he played kind of growing up and I was naturally like dragged to tournaments <laughs> um, as when I was younger but to be honest, I actually started, my first sport was tennis. Okay. Um, so I played a bunch of sports when I was younger. I didn't start squash till I was 11, which is pretty late. Mm -hmm. um, and But I grew up as a multi-sport athlete, like tennis, softball, soccer, like all of that in school, like played volleyball as well, and then picked up squash. And as I got older, squash was taking more um, of – a forefront yeah. um, and slowly the other sports kind of trickled uh, less and less until I was 16 and that's when I fully focused on squash. Okay. Uh, and I, yeah, I sort of knew kind of when I was 16 that I wanted to play professionally. I wanted to get recruited to play in college and then go play professionally after. And mm -hmm. yeah, that's basically. What's the recruiting yeah. process like for squash? Cause I imagine, you know, is it the same as other sports in college or is it a little bit different? So I don't really, I don't really know how other sports do it. Okay. I had a, I had a very um, unique experience just because I was um, one of the best. Like I was the best in the world, like for juniors okay. um, at the time. So I kind of had the uh, luxury of being able to almost choose um, okay. where I wanted to go. Uh, I was good academically. And so I had the luxury that I didn't have to, with getting recruited, there were a lot of, all, the, the top colleges basically wanted me to play on their team. Okay. And so I could kind of choose where I wanted to go. Whereas now I think it starts a lot earlier. You get coaches kind of reach out to you in your like junior year. Or mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's probably earlier in other sports. It's so, but sometimes freshman, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you go, you visit the, you visit the schools, you visit okay. the campus, and yeah, they have a certain number of slots for their to fill the roster for the teams that mm -hmm. they can do. And okay, so it's similar to sports where you're you're getting recruited. You're not, you don't have to reach yes. out to those. Okay, and yeah. I know obviously Ivy, you went to Ivy League, so this wouldn't apply to you. But for non-Ivy League schools, are there athletic scholarships for squash? Yeah, so. There, there are. Okay. Um, and like with the Ivy Leagues, it was all like financial aid. And right, because you can't do. And then for the non-Ivies, my brother played at um, George Washington University. Okay. So he got a scholarship to go play there. Oh, nice. A <laughs> the yeah, a lot of the non-Ivies get scholarships to go play um, at the school. So definitely the, yeah, the academic the scholarships um and recruiting that helps a lot okay so yeah so it's very simple yeah because again squash is not it's not as popular as for like not as many people obviously follow it or things like that um but it's still you know it's the same concept same recruiting you're obviously mm -hmm. d1 athlete and all that um so no it's really interesting because i'm sure not a lot of people have kind of heard about yeah, that a lot of it, it's it's very well known in the ivies right yeah. no which <laughs> makes sense demographic <laughs> Mm -hmm. no that's cool yeah and obviously now you're you play professionally and that's obviously your full time um mm -hmm. now you mentioned that you 
started at 11 and that was late, right? <laughs> Which is baffling because I've talked about other athletes that picked up their sport in high school and they got recruited. Why do you think a sport like squash, you have to start so young? Well, actually, I don't, I don't believe that you have to start that young. I, people just automatically assume because I'm good, I must have started oh, okay. <laughs> and like specialized in it and everything. And I pride myself on the fact that like I was a multi-sport athlete growing right. up. I started when I was 11. I played a bunch of different sports. It wasn't until I was 16 where I fully focused on squash. Okay. And that's probably why I still enjoy it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also helps the fact that I grew up playing a bunch of different sports, develop different skills. And, you know, my body's not just used to just yeah. doing one thing, one sport for my entire life. Um, and I went to I went to public middle school and high school. So squash is kind of a very much um, a private school type of sport, yeah. private, private clubs. And I didn't come from that sort of background. You know, my father was the squash teaching pro at the country club a couple towns over. So that's how we had access to be able to go play. Okay. We went to public school. No one in my area knew what squash was. <laughs> um, yeah. And so in middle school, I would be soccer in the fall, volleyball in the winter, softball in the spring. Oh, and, wow. then, and then squash um, outside of that. Okay. That's huge because we see this all the time. And there, there's the age old debate, like, should you play multiple sports or should you specialize? So, you can focus more on it and also get a true off season. Um, and then the other debate is one, no, your kid have fun with it. And obviously skills can cross over from sport to sport. So obviously playing tennis, I'm sure helped you with squash, maybe even softball. I'm sure like those kinds of sports help with your footwork as well. Um, so it's interesting. Yeah. But you see with a lot of these specialized sports, even more so like squash, tennis, gymnastics, it's even more unheard of to play any other sport after middle school. Um, and you're, you seem to be obviously be an exception to that rule. And it obviously not only didn't hinder you one bit, it might actually have helped you. Cause I mean, well, yeah. look where you are. <laughs> yeah, 100% helped me. And like, I'll get all these squash parents come up to me and be like, Oh my God, like you must've started when you were seven. Like, <laughs> should, I my, should I put my kid in private lessons? I was like, uh, no, I was like, I started when I was 11. Like I played a bunch of different sports. I was like, let the kid be a kid. Yeah out what they like play these sports develop different skills and then as you get older obviously i think like you know choose choose a sport and specialize in it and like Mm -hmm. go for it and i think the bigger thing with the sport like yours is because it's an individual sport like yeah you played on a team in college but it's still individual and even now you're you're obviously individual i think if it's what you grew up with playing the whole time you never got those other sports it's a lot easier to burn out because at least with team sports like yeah, if you're a soccer player or a basketball player and you're training 20 hours a week, you're with your teammates for those 20 hours a week. So you're with people. I feel like yeah. if from 11 well, years old. Let me tell you. Oh, yeah. And you see so much burnout. Um, I have a younger sister as well. Yeah, I was going to ask about that, yeah. She plays professionally too, but she um, she was a just big burnout case. Like She okay. started earlier. She played less sports. And yeah, she burnt out. Uh, thankfully, she regained the love for the sport again for yeah. her own term. I was going to say, she's ranked pretty high too, right? Yeah. Like top uh, 10, so right? She's ranked 15. She's ranked 15. Yeah. yeah, so I was looking at the list and I saw, I'm like, I saw your name and I'm like, hey, I see another Sobe. I'm like, that must be your sister. Um, so obviously, it's a big squash family. <laughs> yes. So, yes. and actually, that's a, a good question though. Do you ever feel like you were forced to play squash? Because like, you played a lot of sports. Did you feel like you were obligated obligated to focus on squash, or is it just you realized you were good and enjoyed it? Um, I I think I started. I realized that I was good and I enjoyed it. You know, I wasn't forced when I started it. It was more just like, oh, I kind of like this, and my dad just like put me in a low level squash tournament. Okay, and I did well. And I liked it more than tennis just because you're like in a smaller enclosed space with like your opponent and it's like a lot faster and yeah, it's intense. Um, yeah. So it like I chose it on my own terms, but definitely as I was going through it and getting more serious with it, there's been times where it was like very felt forced, but thankfully I've always been driven like through the love of the game for myself mm-hmm. that regardless of, how hard it was i knew i i kept wanting to do it yeah um, i've gone through little periods where um burnouts happen but it's never been like 
But every athlete goes to that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But it's never been like, I want to walk away from this sport. Mm -hmm. Like, I knew from when I was 16, I was like, I want to go pro. I want to go to college. I want to, like, show people that you can go to college and then go pro after. And I want to, like, be one of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. Because I feel like a lot of elite college, not a lot, but there's a good amount of elite college athletes that, you know, maybe it's what they wanted to do, but it was also kind of forced upon them by the parents. And they saw that talent. And they get to college and now they're burned out and they just, they don't enjoy it anymore. Um, and you, you see, see a lot like so with squash, you see that so much. Oh, I squash. bet. Because, well, yeah, any specialized sport like that. Yeah. yeah. And even like a lot of pro athletes will say, you know, like a, a basketball player, baseball player, they wouldn't force their kids to play that sport. Their kids could choose whatever sport they want to play. Yeah. Chances are elite genetics will take place and they could excel in that sport, but they're not going to force on it. And I think that's great because it's so easy to, you know, be a pro athlete and obviously that's your life or it's most of your life and you want that same life for your kids or be like, this is so important to me. I want to see you do it. Um, so I think it takes a, probably a lot of restraint on on the part of your parents to not overly enforce it on you. Um, and I, I would say that along with obviously hard work, genetics, all that is a big reason for your success because you didn't burn out as much. So that's a uh, good lesson for any parents listening um, and even kids too, right? Don't specialize at a young age. Um, you know, if you want to, like, if it's the only sport you enjoy, then yes. But I mean, you enjoyed tennis and softball, right? Yeah. Like, and like, I I did a bunch of like music as well. So okay. Like, outside stuff too. Yeah. No, that's no, that's that's definitely cool. Um, so with that said, right, like, since you started, obviously, that at a young age, you're playing multiple sports. And now you're at the highest level. What's maybe something from a nutrition standpoint you've learned either when you were in college or now at the professional level that you wish you had known as a younger athlete? Oh, gosh. Um, One, well, I've learned the hard way is that you only have like one body. So take care of it. Uh, Good advice. Don't take advantage of it. And two, what I learned definitely – after I ruptured my Achilles in March of 2017 was learning how to fuel to perform. Okay. Um, and like the science behind the nutrition, which I didn't really understand yeah. before. And then like given where I'm at in the season and what I'm trying to, um, do whether it's training or what my goals are or performance for tournaments in between events, maintenance, there's all the nutrition that follows with it. So it ebbs and flows, it fluctuates, and there's no like one size fits all, which like, you know, before it was very much like, I got to do this, 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 this. Mm -hmm. If I don't, like I'm failure, like got to keep up with like the most absurd, like regimented. um, Yeah. Like, do you feel like you were under fueling before your injury? Um, I was, I just wasn't taking care of myself. Yeah. Um, I also struggled with um, an eating disorder. Okay. Which I kind of just like hid from everybody. So I struggled probably from like 17 till 27. Okay. Oh, wow. Um, so that's and like never saw a professional for that. Like, uh, kind of only a few people in my life like knew about it. My family didn't know about it, all of that. Like, I was just going on and like all through college, just kind of dealt with it uh something that i just like buried down um so that i'm sure affected um Mm -hmm. kind of my health and i was constantly getting like injured here and there and um under kind of like over exercising dealing with like uh disordered eating a ton so yeah going on just constantly in that like vicious cycle of Mm -hmm. restricting binge eating like over exercising everything yeah yeah and and it's interesting you mentioned the eating disorder because one of there's several triggers or characteristics that can increase the likelihood of an eating disorder and one of them is either early specialization in sport which you didn't you you played a lot of sports but individual sports because again there's more personal pressure on you you're more in the spotlight um do you feel like the particular sport you played contributed towards that? And is that maybe part of the reason why you didn't tell anyone about it either? Yeah, I think it was a big thing was um, the expectations around me and the pressure that like I put on myself, but also just like everybody else put on me. Uh, so I struggled with binge eating disorder and bulimia. Like I didn't see anybody who 
like diagnose me, but you know, I've done the research. I know, <laughs> yeah, I struggled with it enough to realize that like, yes, I did actually have an eating disorder okay. as much as like, being in denial about it for years. And a lot of it was because I was still functioning at a high level with squash and I still looked athletic and I didn't look like sick or what a person with an eating disorder had, um, yeah. would look like. So I was like, well, that's not me. You know, I'm like struggling with this, but I don't actually have a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but the big thing is like in college, it was really bad in college because of the expectations of like, Hey, Amanda's like is the number one recruit. She's the best player, like best junior in the world. She's going to Harvard playing Harvard. Number one, like we expect Amanda to win all four years, win the, in individual intercollegiate title all four years we expect her to not drop a not lose a match while she's there we expect <laughs> her to not even drop a game yeah Josh is three out of five uh best three out of five games and they want they expect me not to drop a single game right and, and you only drop two games all college right i dropped two yeah, yeah which is but impressive the just, and then on top of it like it's i was one of the first kind of people to like show that you can go pro go to college and then go pro after mm-hmm. like i was going to college it was still that stigma of you either choose to go pro because you're serious about being a professional or you go to college and you didn't you weren't that serious as a professional and I was uh, like, okay what? so in your sport basically it's a lot of people just go pro straight out of high school yes um, and I was like, whoa, I was like, you can do both. And people are like, oh, is Amanda going to college? Like, she's not that serious about squash. She'll never excel. Like, she won't get um, as high up in the ranks. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm going to prove to you guys that you can do both. That's really interesting, so, yeah. So I was there and also, you know, just my stubbornness and, like, mission, I want to prove to people that you can also excel in your squash and – do well on the professional tour after college so i was still playing like pro tournaments as an amateur so when i could i would like go play these tournaments while at school and academics and trying to balance social life and all that stuff and it was a lot did you feel like you were losing so, control yeah oh 100 there you like go was and so i coped with an eating disorder yep and that that's a huge lesson i think a lot of people that aren't as familiar with disordered eating think it's just a, you know, they picture someone that look that's anorexic and that's someone very, very underweight and they have body distortion. And that's what people assume eating disorder is. And that's honestly a small portion of it, right? And especially in the athletic population, that's not so much what we see. It a lot of eating disorders stem from control and because so much is going on in your life and it's just overwhelming and this and that. And the one thing you can control is what you eat or how much you eat. And the emphasis there is is also the what you eat, right? Not all eating disorders are, you know, calorie restriction and you're eating so little. Sometimes it's, I won't eat that, or I won't eat this, and I'll only eat this instead of that because you need that sense of control. Um, and that's that's important, right? Because it, what was triggering your eating disorder, there wasn't a lot you could do about it. I mean, could you have not done the pro tournaments while in college? Like, yeah, but you were also going to because you love the sport. So you're not you're not gonna say that. But what? So I think what people need to realize is like you don't necessarily need to cut out those triggers that are stressing you out. You just need to understand what it's doing to you and find other ways to control it yeah. um, instead of food because it can cycle. And I mean, how long? were you going through those tendencies and behaviors before you actually realized that it was a problem? Um, gosh, I would say all, so all through college, just basically like in survival mode. It's funny. Everyone, I mean, I executed what the expectations were. Yeah. Like, oh, you did. <laughs> for a year, individual titles, like 62 and no record, dropped two games, graduated top 10 in the world. Um, so yeah, I did. Yeah did all that and it's funny because people are like oh Amanda like seemed to have it all together and I was like uh no I was like maybe it looked like it but no I was suffering that's an unbelievable thing to say right that that yeah she had it all together because another thing I, I see with a lot of clients with disordered eating will be like oh you know this person you know they claim not to eat 
that much and you know they seem to be running well and or they're doing well or you know they haven't lost their period and there's a lot of comparisons between people without knowing the whole picture without you know any any bystander because you like i said you weren't really significantly underweight or anything like that right like you're adding on weight. So anyone looking at you would have no idea you were struggling no, with an no eating disorder. Idea. That's that's why I was able to hide it from right. everybody. So Which is what's scary people. too. Yeah, um 100%. And, yeah. And that's why you really yeah, want to be careful with like comparing yourself to others or copying other people or, or assuming people are okay because you know, eating disorders are a mental thing. It's psychological. It's not always physiological. Um and it you know, you're fortunate to the point where it, it didn't significantly impact your performance are you still excelled um unfortunately right that's that can actually be kind of a dangerous uh, message because you know people will be like well she was able to be restrictive and still excel you know so maybe eating disorders aren't that bad but no that that's not the message to take away from that yeah right also like all through college like every season i would strain my glute i would there you go like i would always strain something yep and I was just never, every season, I was never fully healthy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and that's the only two is, right? Like, you know, not to discredit, obviously, your hard work and everything you put into it, but you obviously have a lot of natural talent when it comes to squash, right? It's purely genetic for you. So someone like you is, was able to get away with underfueling and still excel. Um, and, you know, if you weren't underfueling, I mean, it's hard to tell how much better you would have done, right? You only lost two games and zero matches, so it's like, how much better could you have done? But the the point there is, like, if someone who was more of an average or even above average squash player and did what you did throughout college as far as the way you fueled and even getting injured, they would have seen a significant drop in their performance, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, that, and that's the um, an important message because a lot of athletes out there that – you know, that end up going D1, they're the best in high school and they're the best in their area. And they think, oh, I don't need to work on my nutrition, right? I'm already the best in my team. But then when you get to the higher level and compare yourself to others, you know, you're not anymore and it gets to that level. So it's, you know, just because you're getting by doesn't mean what you're doing is safe or even ideal. So, and I kind of learned that once I did graduate and went full-time pro, like you're in the big leagues with the pros now, like this is what they do. And so all of a sudden I was dominating in the college world and I just didn't quite make that jump up mm-hmm. in the pros. And, you know, once again, like the expectations and now on top of it, like I'm traveling on my own, like around the world, it's very isolating. It's very lonely. Um, I feel like because I now am a full-time professional, like I just should be training all the time. Like, so I didn't have the direction and education on how to train like intellectually. Um, Yeah, I would put just kind of very high expectations of like, I need to be following like this training plan. If I don't, like I'm a failure. And then of course, like, of course you're never gonna like train as hard as, yeah, puts, it just wasn't realistic yeah. at all. So like I would not be able to make it through the entire week. And so at that point, then I'd be like, well, screw it. I'll just phone. I'll just throw in the towel and then like, I'll cope with um, my eating disorder, like binging and purging and everything. Um, and then you're once again, like, and then the feelings associated with that of like shame, guilt, all of that. And then you come back and you're like, okay, well, I need to make up for it. So now I'm going to restrict and I'm going to be in a diet and overexercise and everything. So then you're just constantly going on this like merry-go-round of like misery. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, that's interesting. Actually, that's one of the things I want to talk to you about is what is it like traveling the world as a pro athlete? Because most pro athletes travel the country. You're traveling the world, you're, I'm not doing it alone because I assume you have a coach and maybe a trainer, but actually I do majority of it alone. Oh, completely. It's oh. only until this past year. Um, now that I have like faced myself down in Florida. So okay. originally I graduated, um, in 2015 and I stayed in Boston for five years, um, with my coach at the time, my first coach, Thierry, and he was based up in Boston and he's the head coach at MIT. Okay. So he just couldn't afford to like leave. He's got the school obligations, yeah. everything. It's hard to squash isn't like 
squash doesn't have the same amount of money that you can just kind of pay for your coaches to come with you and take that time off. So I was very much on my own. Okay. Uh, I would go play these tournaments. I would go like to Hong Kong, Malaysia, uh, Qatar, like, and I'd be sitting in my hotel room on my own. And in the first half of the tournament, it's every, all the players are there. So it's a bit more social. It's, um kind of fun yeah and then quarterfinals on like everyone leaves and so yeah. i'm i would be like making quarterfinals kind of consistently and you have like the egyptians with their coaches and team of people you have the english with their coaches and team and people and then you have me and you're and alone like, okay. in a foreign country by yourself yeah. yeah and you're like i'm just gonna go talk to myself in between <laughs> games with my notes and then yeah so it's tough it's, it's isolating very, very isolating and then on top of that you know you'd suffer like a tough loss and then you just have those like feelings of like letting everybody down and then so you so i cope with food yeah yeah um yeah that's that's rough especially it's one thing to obviously be by yourself out there but then to see all the other players have that support staff with them make it challenging um and when you're traveling because obviously it seems like going to a lot of great destinations do you get to do any touristy stuff or is it you get there, you play and you go home once you're out? Now it's it, because we've been going to the same spots over and over and over for years. Oh, okay, yeah. and, we, and also with Egypt being such a, a big country for squash, a lot of our tournaments are in Egypt. Interesting. And I grew up, I grew up going to Egypt a ton because okay. of my dad's side of the family's there. So it's kind of gotten old a little bit. There's no, there's no more exploring. All right, that's fair. Um, so now it's very much uh, a job. Like, and then you go, and at this point, I just want, I would love to just go home and like, you know, an extra day spent in my apartment, like in my bed. At like, that point, like, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But in the beginning, in the beginning, it was always like the exoticness of going to new places. You're like, this is so great, like so fun. So in the early parts of my career, like I definitely loved it. I enjoyed it way more. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it's gotta be exhausting. Cause you know, how many tournaments are you playing in a year? Um, about 12. Our season goes from September one till end of June. Okay. So yeah. about 12 tournaments and then you're there for what? A couple weeks at a time, maybe. A week, yeah. A week to two weeks. We obviously how long you're in it for. Yeah. yeah um, exactly. no, that's crazy. Yeah. Do you ever, will you have more than one match in a day ever? Or is it no, thankfully we just have one match. Okay, because I know the youth. Le- yeah. yeah, at the youth level, because I had a client that plays squash, and I think he would have like four matches in a day or something. It's yeah, absolutely and, yeah, yeah but, and juniors, and I was like, yeah. no, nope, not anymore. Now we have like a day. Sometimes we'll have a rest day. Okay, <laughs> I mean that's how a lot of sports are, right? Like basketball, soccer yeah. tournaments, they'll play four games in a weekend, and now it's one game a week for soccer, maybe two. Like, yeah, um, exactly. So it's no, it's definitely interesting, but. No, I mean, that's, that's fun because it's like, yeah, you get to see the world, but at the same time, you've seen enough of it. <laughs> so it's yeah. kind of like that. Um, no, that's that's pretty pretty good. And uh, I want to kind of go back to something you mentioned earlier. You got you had that injury several years ago. And any athlete that gets injured, especially a serious injury where you're out for several, several months, it's hard to deal with mentally. And then being in an individual sport, I imagine it's even harder because you're even more alone. It's not like, you know, a football player gets injured. They can still go to practice and watch the team. Yeah. You're not who you watching practice, right? So how did you deal with that injury mentally, aside from obviously food restriction? Yeah, it was, um, it was tough. I mean, so I ruptured it. I was number six in the world at the time i was at my highest world ranking at the time i was competing in a tournament in colombia um in south america oh, okay and so you weren't home yeah. when it happened oh like, no 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 well, no. that makes sense no, yeah i was yeah i was Oof. competing in a tournament in south america um where i was there alone Yikes. and i was the top seed for this tournament if i won it i would get like very close if not like hitting the top five which would be huge becoming like the first american to born player to ever crack the top five in the world ranking oh yeah sure so i'm going through the tournament and feeling good everything i'm in the semifinals against another u.s player i'm two love 10-5 match ball up i step back to push off and i just go boop 
and I fall flat on my face. It feels like I got kicked in the back of the legs by my opponent. And I'm on the ground, and I asked her, and I was like, did you hit me? And she was like, no, I didn't touch you. And I knew right away. I was like, I just popped my Achilles. Non-contact, non-contact injury is always worse than contact, yeah. Yeah, 100%. And so I'm, like, on the ground crying. No one knows what's going on. Um, and I had to be taken to an ambulance. And I think just, like, the shock of like how is this happening to me like i was 23 at the time so i'm young yeah i'm like i'm a fit, healthy athlete like how is this how did i just rupture my achilles and i'm in columbia i'm like oh my god i'm gonna be out for like nine months like whoa um yeah. so i think the whole shock of it all was like a lot for me once i did wrap my head around i kind of embraced the fact that I had a forced period of time off, which I've never had in my entire life to just be a normal human. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, like, I don't have obligations of like, you have to go train. You have to go play squash. You have to go to this tournament. It was like, Amanda, you can just be like Amanda, the human. That's, that's incredible to think about. Yeah. It's because you go back to the whole thing about being burnt out. And I feel like you're allowed to feel burnt out at the youth level and even in college. But now when it's your job, do you feel like you're not allowed to feel burnt out because, well, it's your job, right? Yeah. Or and like you just feel like you have to sometimes, you have to do this because it's my job. Right. Um, yeah, you're getting paid know, to do this sport. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Whereas with my injury, I kind of just took it as a time to really enjoy this off time where okay. I could just be a normal human and I had a blast. That's that's it awesome. Really, it was really unsustainable. Um, I probably should have taken a little bit better care of myself. Hey. But I had so much fun, and I loved it. And I just, like, I feel like I got everything I needed to out of my system. I got to enjoy life, all of that. And I did that pretty much for, like, five months straight. That's awesome. I mean, hey, like, yeah, because, yeah, like I said, usually injuries, it mentally, athletes are in a very down place, right? They feel like they lost everything. And you kind of went the other way with it. You enjoyed yeah. it. You're like, hey, I get a break now. Um, and it's funny because I actually have a saying with when it comes to overtraining and things like that. If you don't give your body the break it needs, it'll force you to take that break. And that's yeah. what happened with you. Um, yeah. That, no, I'm, I'm, dealing, I'm currently dealing with that right now. My back like went into spasm. This is how old I am. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but my back went into spasm um, like a week ago, right before a tournament I was playing. Right. And so I had to um, retire from the tournament and okay. like, come home and withdraw from my tournament next week. Uh, but it's, it's my body saying that like, hey, Amanda, you've been doing too much. Slow your mm. roll. So now I have like three weeks actually at home to take care of myself and yeah. slow down which is really nice. That's smart though. Smart you did that because a lot of athletes would play through that pain because they either feel like they don't want to miss out or they feel like, oh, I'm weak if I, if I don't oh, play through Because it's just a bad, and my back just hurts. It's whatever. Or but you're missing like my it. ranking's gonna drop or then yeah. come ahead of me and yeah and you have the like social comparison or like i have to play this like i can't get yeah. too far behind whereas yeah yeah but you're missing one tournament whereas if you played that tournament you'd probably miss four or five maybe like yeah and i would miss the big ones whereas, right like, next week, not as big of an event and i was like you know what i want to take the time get mm -hmm. healthy and then really like build up and prepare for yeah. Um, the major events exactly. coming up. So it's all about being smart. Um, actually, I have an interesting question with that. So in your sport, because your your income is solely based on the tournaments you play and how you do in those. So when you're out injured for five months, like, do you are you making any money? Do you, is there insurance or disability that's covered there? Like, how does that work in your sport? Um, so it it was tough when I was injured. Um, so we have a few different like revenues, one's prize money, sponsorships, another right. one. Um, we get funding from thankfully from us squash, which is our national governing body. Okay. Um, yeah. So those are kind of like the big ones. And when I got injured, I actually like a sponsor dropped me within the first couple weeks. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. So I, I learned the hard way of a, you know, at any moment, like it can just stop. You think you're invincible oh, and yeah. like you're not. So it kind of prepped me to think about life after squash or just making sure that like I don't have just squash or I'm not putting all my eggs in one basket. Um, thankfully, like US squash was still very supportive. My other sponsors were supportive, but I also saw the downside of sometimes 
sponsors just see athletes as like a commodity and it it's like and like cattle almost and it's like if this yeah. athlete's like not going to serve you i don't really care about your well-being like i want you to kind of like be on tour and make our brand known and everything so we don't need you you're injured <laughs> yeah so you almost feel like you're playing for those sponsors right like yeah because in, in team sports a lot of times players feel like they're playing obviously either for their teammates or for the owners right so like a football player you know, their knee might hurt a little bit, but they're going to push through it because they feel like they have to, they're obligated to for, for the owners, the ones that are paying them. Whereas you, you know, you're playing for yourself, but also, I guess, yeah, and this, like you said, your sponsors, because if you're injured and you're not playing, they're going to drop you. And it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's scary. No, it's, it is too scary because like you get injured, like there goes your prize money that you could be making that you're not making anymore. Um, a lot of sponsors like will have, if you're out for an extended period of time, like they're going to cut your, uh, sponsorship. So there's just a lot riding on it. And so it makes people afraid to take the time off really to get your body healthy. Whereas like, you know, if you think of big picture, you might kind of go down or lose money for a couple months mm-hmm. to make gains in the end, um, instead of trying to just like get by get by to play these tournaments and you're not doing well in any of the tournaments mm-hmm. but you're just keep pushing until then also something disastrous happens too and you're out for even longer yeah. so the important lesson there is you under fueling your body overtraining, and not listening to your body can have significant financial consequences it's yeah. pretty big lesson you learned there um and it's been something i've been trying to tell athletes for a while i'm sure obviously you've seen some of my posts about it too um and it's you know, until you see it happen, it's hard to believe it, but injuries are costly. So, and a lot of these injuries are preventable. If you listen to your body, if you take care of it, like you mentioned earlier, it's, yeah, it's a big one. Yeah, it wasn't. And then when I was coming back from my injury, so at some point, like I, when the season started back again in September, October, that's when I, I felt like I really missed it. And I, I, my progress kind of stunted. I just felt really lost and hopeless. So I ended up like moving down for six weeks from Boston to Philly to rehab with a, um, a sports rehab center, uh, Zarat Rehab and Fitness that like new squash, new professional squash, like could rehab my squash movements and everything. Okay. And I started working, I started working with uh, my dietitian then okay. too, which, cause I like all the, having fun it caught up to me and like i wasn't taking care of myself at all i was still struggling with my eating disorder everything i really needed some help and guidance like i'm so hopeless at this point that i was like i don't care like you guys are the professionals like (laughs) i'm giving you my life and my body and i was like i will just do what you say yeah like you tell me um because i i have no idea what to do anymore Yeah. yeah and my dietitian she um she was great. Like I've never met her before in my life. And she looks at me and she's like, we don't have time to get to know each other. You're just going to have to trust me. And I'm like, all right, that's great. That's, that, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty and straightforward. Like, yeah. And six years later, we're still working together. There you go. Yeah. What, um, do you feel like that's made a big difference? Like what, or what difference have you noticed oh performance God. and just mentally since working with a sports dietitian? First of all, like I was a huge carbophobe, like, um, beforehand. And so, I would think things were healthy and it was just be loaded with like calories and fat and everything. And it was, and I was just so afraid of carbs and she was like, carbs are energy. Like you need carbs. (laughs) So she reframed everything where like my whole meals and eating was revolved around like carbs as the forefront. And then I would add on the like protein and all that. And so my body's just like, Oh my God, this is so much change. But I was like, you know, just trust the professional, trust the professional. Yeah. And she taught me about fueling, like when to fuel. So like bedtime snacks, had no idea what those were. Um, fueling, <laughs> you like, never ate a snack before bed? I, I would, but it would be like in the form of like chocolate. Right. It'd be, like it wasn't like a meal, like it wasn't a full snack. No, it oh, wasn't like, like a, no, it wasn't. One of the biggest things I do with like clients. A, yeah. It wasn't ever like a, a fueling type of like bedtime yep. snack. Uh, like with a purpose yeah it was more just like let's it's 10 p.m like let's just raid the whole like cabinet right. for all the snacks oh, the amount of times um, i've had to correct that with new clients it's it's crazy yeah yeah and then it was like pre-training snack post-training snacks all of that stuff and and then so that was like training like 
as I was kind of coming back um, to get back in the pro tour, which, you know, at the end, like took me 10 months to get back to my, um, to get back to playing in pro tournaments again after my injury. Right. And after that, then it was like, okay, how do we fuel when we're in tournaments? So now it's like, hey, you're in a tournament. You need all this energy. Like you're going like simple carbs. Your carb load's going all the way up. She's like, eat a bagel. I was like, huh? I was like, what are you talking about? I was yep. Like, oh, yeah. Bagel? I was it, like, no, no, no. I was like, what? It's crazy what a, like a proper fueling plan during tournament can do for you. Like, because I do that for my clients too. Like when they have their tournaments or games, like make specific plan. I had a swimmer like last month and he knocked like 20 seconds off some of his races because he literally like hour by hour is following what I told him to do. And he's like, wow, I never realized like how big of a difference that makes. Like you think just, oh, I need to eat a lot. But no, like with those, it's when you eat, what you eat at those, like it makes a huge difference. Um, And I see with a lot of athletes, but it's, no, that's big. What you said is, you know, there was a lot that like, obviously you knew you were doing right. Like you were obviously eating fine where you were, succeeding yeah. as a collegiate athlete even in the professional ranks you were doing great but there's still so much that you needed so to change to right oh my god it yeah. was so much to learn like i thought i was eating well and they were like oh how do you eat and i was like yeah i think i eat well like mm-hmm. no fruits veggies like carbs protein yeah fat everything oh yeah but then when you see the science behind it and like the timing and what to eat when to eat all of that and you're like whoa like fueling to perform like in tournaments too in tournaments, I struggled because I just my workload would go down. I would just play one match a day and like a little practice in the morning, yeah. and I'd be eating so much more carbs. And I was like, I feel so bloated. Like I feel uncomfortable in my outfits. Like this is not great. And she's like, I know. Like it's just your water, like retaining, like you're retaining water because you're having so many more carbs. But it's okay. Like you're not gaining weight. Like you're you need this to perform. Like your your fitness is not going down at all. Like you're actually. Yeah better so i had to like accept that especially like still struggling with in like my eating disorder and just body image issues and disordered eating and all that stuff so it took a lot of acceptance now i kind of just go in tournaments and i'm like i know what to expect at this point this is what i'm doing like i'm keeping it simple carbs like carbs are carbs are number one like we'll deal with veggies as Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, you brought up a good point because I'll, I'll get a lot of DMs from young athletes and they're like, hey, I just need some nutrition advice. And they think it's so simple, like, oh, I just need a couple tips and I'll be much better athlete. And as you learn with working with the dietitian, it's not just a couple things. It's a lot, even if you're eating great. And I'll get that. I'll be like, oh, I eat really healthy, but I can't gain weight or I lost my period or, you know, I eat really healthy and my energy still, I get, I get tired really easily. And as you just said, it's not about eating healthy. Like that's important, but that's a very small part of it. Like most people know how to eat healthy. Most elite athletes do eat healthy because they focused on it. They, they're they serious about it. What most elite athletes that eat healthy don't do is eat enough calories or enough yeah. carbs, right? Yeah. And it, it's a, I mean, that's a really big lesson for anyone listening that it, you, you could have decent nutrition, but sports nutrition is a whole other level, right? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And like when we were starting out, and I still to this day have it just because of habit, but like we basically made like a whole kind of Excel spreadsheet of like every week. So I'd put in my like training schedule every day. Yeah. Or like in a tournament, I'd put my tournament schedule. So then it was like, okay, this is, we're going to have like this. Um, this is what you're going to have for breakfast, like pre training snack at this time, post training snack, you know. This is what your day looks like, your bedtime, your bedtime snacks. These are like your options and stuff. So I have some guidance. So it wasn't so like restrictive of just like, you need to have this, 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 but it was like, okay, we want to get like this amount of carbs in. So here are like yeah. good options for you. And I'd go to tournaments and you know, you're in a different city, you're in a different like country. You're going to, you can't follow sometimes the same thing that you have yep. in training. So you got to be flexible. So I'd be like, okay, I'm in like Hong Kong, like I'm in Asia dried fruits amazing over there so it's like go go get like a bunch of dried fruit like there's your carb needs all the time or yeah. i'd be at restaurants and i'd just send her a picture of a menu and i'd be like what's a good option like a pre-training yeah. oh yeah do that yeah like a, a pre-tournament meal like i'm i'm playing a match tomorrow afternoon um yeah. and i'll give her options to be like okay this is good and 
and then I'll, she'll be like, send me a picture so she like can see if like the picture actually matches what the things say. And we can adjust from that be like, oh, add like white rice to it or something else. Yeah. Um, so it's been really educational. Um, yeah. And like little things about like how pineapple is good for like reducing inflammation. So yeah, little yeah. things like here and there, which I just found so fascinating. And it was kind of cool to use myself as a lab rat. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the whole data. I like the science stuff. Um, and it was cool to just see how my body reacted to nutrition like performance and the science of nutrition yeah no that's it's incredible what it what it can do and just changing that and i guess one final question i have on that aspect of working as a sports dietitian were you nervous about working with a dietitian like before you started were you nervous like that either being judged or like oh i'm not gonna be able to make changes like what, what were your any thoughts or fears going into it the first time Honestly, when I started working with her, I was like, I was so helpless. Like I was at rock bottom with my injury. Like I was crying my eyes out every day. I was like, I don't even know how I'm ever going to get back to it. I was struggling like just to have a healthy relationship with food too. Cause I still had like struggling with my eating disorder and disordered eating. And so I when I didn't hesitate at all when she was okay. like, yeah, we're going to work. And I was like, I need help. Like you're the professional. <laughs> I was like, my like i'm putting my like trust and faith in you and i fully trust you because this is your job like you know what to do i don't know what to do <laughs> and i was like please help me no that's good and i knew like my goal was to get back playing my goal it was to like get back to competing like at a top 10 level top five level be one of the best in the world and and I knew that she was going to help me do that and working with a dietitian and having a better relationship with food and nourishing my body to perform and train and be able to do what I do and not get major injuries all the time. And also just like not keep struggle, not keep dealing with this um, eating disorder that I was struggling with. And she helped me a ton with that. And so honestly, like I am all for dietitians and even now, like I'll still text her sometimes being like, uh, what do you think of this menu? Should I have this? Like, this is good. So we'll still keep in touch, even right. though we've been working for years and years and years, and I still have kind of my Excel spreadsheet of everything just by habit, and yeah. we'll check in once in a while. And so, yeah, I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. No, yeah. that's no, I'm glad we talked about that because that's when I'm working as a dietitian. It's a lot of people don't know what what to expect or what we do, um, and they think it's either going to be just very straightforward or just oh, I just need a couple tips, but when you get involved, especially with athletes, it's very intricate. Um, a lot different than like general nutrition counseling, like weight management. Okay. Hey, let's work through these it, uh, weight management. It's a lot of behavioral, like, okay, let's make these changes, but like how are we going to help you do it? Um, where sports nutrition is very science-based. Yeah. As you oh see. Yeah. It is so night and day, like in a whole other level than like just general nutrition. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Um, all right. So I just want to uh, end with a couple of rapid fire questions. Um, and then I have a couple other questions actually to ask you. So the first rapid fire is chocolate or vanilla? Uh, oh, whoa. Um, vanilla actually. Okay. Yeah. All right. Me too. And then, um, are you a morning or night person? Morning. Okay. Same. All right. Two for two there. Um, cool. Now. All right. So one of the last questions I want to ask is what does a typical day look like for you? So let's do like a training day, obviously. So I, um, I live down here in Florida, um, with my, uh, coach that I train with. And so I'll wake up, I'll usually have squash in the morning followed by fitness mid morning, or I'll do like fitness in the morning, squash after come back, have lunch, have a little bit of downtime. And then I'll go back to the club in the afternoon and, um, have another squash session, either just playing like condition games with some of the other players there. So I'll hit with other, the other players. Maybe I'll do a practice match. I'll have another session with my coach and then I'll come back in the evening and I'll do a bunch of like recovery work. Also like pre and post all the sessions. Like I always do my warm up, my cool down, my mobility. Now my prehab rehab exercises. So yeah. it's just 
It's a lot. It all adds up. You yeah. think of a two-hour training session, but it's really three hours with everything else involved. Oh, my yeah. God, yeah. Like, the actual work I do on court is probably, like, an hour. And I have, like, a half an hour to warm up, mobilize, like, half an hour after to, like, cool down. Do yeah. Prehab, rehab exercises. Yeah. So, it all, like, it all adds up. It's a full-on job. It takes up my entire day. And then, obviously, like, I love sleep. I need sleep to function. So, I'm, like... <laughs> 9 30 10 lights out we're done <laughs> so how much sleep are you getting i got i try and get about like if i can get eight and a half hours i'll be so happy oh, okay in tournaments in tournaments i sleep like a log because i just have so much time so i'll sleep way more i'll take naps in the day and training because i sometimes get home late i have to make dinner chill out so i'll maybe get like eight hours Okay. So it's not too yeah. bad. Yeah. It's not too bad. No, I try and keep it between eight to nine hours, which is nice. It's got to be a lot easier than obviously a college athlete when you're also balancing classes oh, yeah. and homework. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Seriously. It's so hard. I, college yeah. Awesome. I don't, I don't, I mean, playing a sport is great. Um, being D1 athlete, it's gotta be amazing, but I also just don't envy the schedule they, they have. No, not at so, all. Yeah. Um, it's crazy. All right. So final question I have for you, obviously the podcast is called fueling success. So the trademark question here is, what is your go-to pre-match meal? Peanut butter, banana, honey sandwich, baby. That was a quick answer. Love it. Love no, it. it doesn't change. Although I do have to say the, so I use the PB2 powder okay. instead of, I use peanut butter. So you powder, get a little more protein, yeah. Yeah, and also just like the oils like lodges in my esophagus. Well, like, slower digesting, yeah. Yeah. That is slow to digest, and no one ever uses the recommended serving size for peanut butter, so. No one does, no. So peanut butter powder is the way to go. All right. But that does not change. That's awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, again, Amanda, thank you for coming on today. Is there anything else you want to mention to the audience? Anything you want to share? I would say my biggest, like, advice, honestly, is take care of your body because you only have one body. That's great lesson you obviously have great experience with that it's a great message to share all right well again dad thank you for coming on uh everyone thank you for listening again you can listen um on all podcast platforms or you can watch the podcast on my youtube channel as well and thank you amanda and thank you everyone for listening